The question was uh, for tonight, uh, this morning's sermon, uh, are Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses really wrong? Now, as I was studying it, obviously I knew from Monday morning, as soon as I decided on that topic, that I couldn't cover both of them at once. And we'll see how good I am at even covering Mormons. But uh, today's message is going to be, are Mormons really wrong? And maybe perhaps you know some Mormons personally. Maybe you've seen them around. Uh, Maybe you've driven through Salt Lake City and seen the massive temple there, or driven through any city in Utah and seen hundreds of Mormon churches, or whatever they call them. But but the, the question is, are they wrong? I mean, they, they feel like they're such nice people, such good people. And, and actually, my own experience with Mormons has, has been, um, um, they're, they're very kind. And, and I actually really appreciate them a lot. They're very sweet, and they've been very kind to me and to my family in many senses. And they seem like really good people, too. They seem very moral, uh, very kind. Their families seem large and, and happy. How could they really be wrong? A matter of fact, you, you also look into Mormonism and you say, wow, this is a massive religious movement. How could so many people be so wrong? Or how could, how could people lead astray so many people, right? Um, it's, it's a massive worldwide membership. According to a 2019 poll, they have 16.3 million members. Um, it's also one of the wealthiest religions in the world. They have 300 temples worldwide. 113 of those are in the U.S. They have 62,000 full-time teaching missionaries. Uh, Many famous people, perhaps, that you know are missionaries. Some of you, maybe, if you're uh, uh, not Giants fans, uh, 49er fans. The famous Steve Young, who is actually a descendant of one of the the first presidents of of Mormonism, um, Brigham Young, uh, Steve Young. He's a quarterback for 49ers. He's a Mormon. Um, U.S. Senators like Harry Reid and, of course, Mitt Romney are Mormons. And then, of course, a, a conservative talk show host that perhaps you like, Glenn Beck, is also a Mormon. Maybe you're perhaps uh, tempted to say, maybe they're just off on just a few things, just a few side things. Uh, after all, I mean, Christians disagree with each other. I mean, there's, it's very rare to get two Christians that agree with one another on everything. Maybe Mormonism is just off on a few side uh, secondary issues. How do, how do we know that they're wrong? Are they really wrong? Should we really say that they are wrong and, and even believing something that's so wrong that it will send them to hell? Do we really want to say that? They seem, once again, like nice people. They seem like good people. It seems like a, a massively popular uh, worldwide religion. Are they wrong? And, and just to answer that really simply, just remember, nice doesn't equal orthodox, right? Um, wealth and growth doesn't equal truth. If, if, if you just associate nice with truth or growth with truth, you are probably going to follow something false because the, the largest growing religions might be false, in fact. And I have um, two questions that I want to answer today. And we'll see, we'll see how well I can do in answering these questions. Number one, are, more, are Mormons to be considered Christians? Now, I read last night on their website, yeah, we're totally Christians, but should we call them Christians? And then number two, how should I talk to Mormons, perhaps, if you know one personally, maybe a friend, um, a family friend or something like that, how, how should I talk to Mormons? 
Maybe you're afraid that a Mormon's going to come to your door. How should I talk to them? I'm not sure if I have totally a scheme or a schematic for how you can talk to the Mormon at your door, but I do have a few things that I really think you should know about Mormonism in general to help you maybe in just talking to any kind of Mormon. But let's start off with the first question, okay? So number one, are they really Christians? No. Next question. How should I talk to... No, uh, obviously, I need to flesh that out a little bit. They may look like Christians on the surface, but that doesn't make you a Christian in truth. What makes you a Christian in truth? It is what you believe. You need to examine something, and you need to examine a group based on their beliefs. And, and, and in comparison to fundamental Christian doctrine as well. That's what you need to do with anyone. Matter of fact, I would describe Mormonism as something else. Let me write it on this board, just so you can all spell it, because I know this is a really hard word to spell. Here we go, ready? (laughs) Mormonism, I would suggest to you, is a cult. Now, what is a cult? There's another word to apostate group. What is a cult group? What's an apostate group? Um, I get this from one of my professors at TMS, uh, Nathan Boosnitz. He was here for one of our uh, Steadfast conferences. But a cult group is a false form of Christianity. That's what a cult is. It's a, it's a false form of Christianity. It's something that is saying that it's Christian, but in reality, when you look at it um, in, its, in its beliefs, it is false. It's a group, uh, Boosnitz goes on to say, that professes to be Christian, but so grossly distorts the fundamental doctrines of the true Christian faith that it sends people to hell rather than heaven. This is, this is essentially a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. That's what a cult group is. It's pretending to be a sheep, but in reality it is a wolf. Now an apostate group is a religious group that doesn't claim to be Christian at all or, or, or no, no, sorry, that's not true. Uh, an apostate group is a religious group which once possessed the truth, but now no longer holds to it. A cult group is a group that has never really uh, professed the truth of Christianity, has started out wrong. So, for example, an apostate group might be the Roman Catholic Church. But technically, you, you, could, you could argue that the Roman Catholic Church wasn't always wrong, but they have twisted doctrine over time. Eastern Orthodox, the same way. A cult group is, is a group that started out wrong. So Mormons started out wrong, totally wrong. Jehovah's Witnesses started out wrong. They never had the truth. Therefore, they are a cult, a false form of, of Christianity that has started out wrong. But what does Mormonism believe? Now, this is something that perhaps uh, the, Rome, uh, the Mormon church won't tell people right away, and if you have a Mormon missionary at your door, you might have to dig a little bit before they'll tell you this, or they might not even tell you this, but there are lots of witnesses to what Mormonism really believes, and you can even, in in fact, read it on their website uh, for most of this stuff. Here's just some things, just to give you guys a a flash-in-the-pan sight of Mormonism. Uh, Mormonism believes the following, God used to be man a man from another planet before he was exalted. That's what Mormonism believes. Mormonism believes God the Father has a body of flesh and blood. Mormonism believes that God is married and produces spirit babies after having physical relations with his goddess wife. It also believes in many gods. So, for example, Mormonism 
doesn't actually believe in the Trinity. It believes in three gods. Um, it also um, proclaims that it's possible for anyone to become God or become divine if they follow the basic teaching of the Mormon church and, and pursue good works according to the Mormon church. Uh, Christ's redemption is, is more to enable you to really just become God enable you to become divine. Um, they also believe that you are saved from your sin, but really you're saved from your sin in order to, div- uh, to advance your own divine status. But you, you really become a god by obedience, through obeying all of the tenets of Mormonism, trusting in Joseph Smith as the, the prophet, the one true prophet. You have to be baptized in the Mormon church. You have to dedicate your life to obedience and faithfulness, you have to regularly attend a Mormon church, and then you have to engage in temple rituals. That's what Mormonism actually believes. It believes in grace, but grace plus good works. And if that sounds familiar to you, that's exactly what the Galatians actually were duped by as well. In fact, it's, it's remarkable. Uh, Joseph Smith thinks he's really important. And uh, the Mormon church believes that Joseph Smith is really important. Joseph Smith has himself stated that he has done more for the church than Jesus Christ. So that's, that's the kind of leader uh, fount of Mormonism. That's what Mormonism believes. Does that sound like Christianity? No, that doesn't sound like it at all. That sounds like a false form of Christianity, one that started out wrong. But I want to focus a little bit on the fundamental doctrines of true Christianity. What, it, what are the, the pillars of true Christian faith. I would suggest to you, true Christianity believes certain things about Scripture, it believes certain things about salvation, and it believes certain things about the Savior. Those three things. Those are the pillars of true Christianity. I got those, those three pillars from Nathan Busnitz as well. But it's a really helpful tool in, in, in analyzing, in analyzing a, a group like this because it becomes very apparent very quickly that Mormonism does not hold to true Christianity. So they may call themselves Christian, but a lot of people do, and they're false. And this is a group that is a cult group. Matter of fact, their teaching is, is so, so strongly anti-Christian, it's hard for me to even call them Christian, even in quotation marks. But let's, let's just evaluate what is, what, what is Mormonism's view of Scripture? Where, where is their authority? This is a good question to ask any group that you are encountering. Ultimately, I would say Mormonism is based in its belief in the insufficiency of Scripture. Now, they wouldn't say that, but that's essentially what they are saying. They're saying the Scripture, as you have them in your hands right now, are insufficient. Mormons do believe in the Bible. It's actually one of their um, sacred sources, sacred books. But this is what they say about the Bible, it, it must be rightly interpreted by God's. It must be rightly reinterpreted by God's uh, prophet, Joseph Smith, first. They, they say this, and I got this right off of their website. A Latter-day Saints, um, um, LDS, that's also how they refer to themselves. A Latter-day Saints revere the Bible. They study it and believe it to be the word of God. Now, that sounds really great. You must be Christians. You revere and you study the Bible. But notice they also say this. However, they do not believe the Bible, as it is currently available, is without error. As the Bible was compiled, organized, translated, and transcribed, many errors entered the text. Now, they can't prove that. They, they just, what, what, what do they do? They just say, well, look at, look at this version of the Bible and look at that version. Look at those, the, there's some differences there. 
Now, I would argue there's a, a lot of good ways to describe those differences, but they say, look, you can't trust your Bible. There's too many, too many translations. Um, they would say there's all these contradictions, and all of these contradictions are proof that it's been corrupted. And, but they can't actually point back to a manuscript that shows a, a very, very different form of that text. They can't actually do that. They just say that's what really happened. Why? Because Joseph Smith told them. Um, if you evaluate textual criticism, and we talked about this a while back when we talked about why we believe the Bible, there is, once again, great reason to believe that what we have is, is highly accurate and close to the original written documents of the Bible. For example, the Old Testament, for a long time, people believed that, hey, the Old Testament probably was changed by the church, right? We, we don't have any of the older copies. We just have you know, the copies of the copies, and surely it was changed. But then what happened? They found they found um, the Dead Sea Scrolls, which showed like showed that way before Jesus or Christianity was actually even happening, the Old Testament was essentially the very same one that we have today, and so that gave us great um, affirmation in the preservation of the Old Testament. The New Testament has so many man- in manuscripts; it's easy to see what the original was. Because people that are copying the New Testament weren't trying to twist it. They were, they were trying to preserve it. And it's very easy to see when you, when you look at all of the manuscripts and all the, the evidence that we have that, that we truly know the, the original texts. So there's, there's great reason, great scientific study, great research done to make me very convinced that I know what the original texts of Scripture were. All Mormonism says, though, is that it was corrupted because Joseph Smith has told us so because the Lord spoke to him in a vision. So, But instead of the Bible, Mormons actually hold to, to three other sacred texts, sources of authority. You've probably heard of these. They do hold to a version of the Bible if it's rightly reinterpreted by Joseph Smith. It's interesting. I've heard that Joseph Smith actually wrote himself in in a few places. He wrote himself in at the end of Genesis. But this is a rightly reinterpreted version of the 1611 King James Version. So if you're, if you're speaking to a Mormon, they'll probably be speaking um, out of a Bible that sounds very much like the King James Version. And maybe if you want to just just help them, show them things from the King James Version just so you don't um, alienate them unnecessarily. But they would only hold to the King James, basically. But their, their, their other sacred texts would be Doctrines and Covenants, The Pearl of Great Price, more on that later. And then, of course, the, probably the greatest book is the one that uh, Joseph Smith first translated, which is the Book of Mormon. And, and remember this, they, they, they may say, hey, we hold these together with the Bible. But what they're really doing is they're interpreting, they're reinterpreting the Bible through these other um, texts, which whenever you have something that is helping you interpret something else, that actually has what? Authority over. So they're, they're really just putting these other texts, these other books over the Bible. And they also, the Mormon church also believes in the continuation of prophets. They believe that you should pursue prophecy. They believe in living prophets. They believe that each one of their presidents, the head of the, the Mormon church is a prophet. Joseph Smith was a prophet. Brigham Young is a prophet. The current president also is a prophet. And therefore, the prophetic word has great weight to them. Um, but all to say, the scripture of Mormonism, I would tell you, is not the Bible. When, when they say that they have the scripture, they have a twisted version of the scripture and very obviously twisted as well. Matter of fact, well, I'll, I'll, I won't talk about that. Um, they rest all of their hope on what one man has told them. 
Um, now, what does it mean to be a prophet? Well, how should we evaluate a prophet? Uh, the Bible tells us how to evaluate a prophet. In Deuteronomy 18.22, it says this, When a prophet speaks in the name of Yahweh, if the thing does not come about or come true, that is the thing which Yahweh has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously, and you shall not be afraid of him. If a prophet says something and it doesn't happen, he is not a prophet. But, but notice the Bible anticipates, and I could show you other passages as well about how you're supposed to stone false prophets, right? The Bible anticipates that there are going to be false prophets. Don't be surprised. New Testament says there will be false teachers and false prophets among you. How do you know that they're false? When they say something that doesn't happen. Or they're shown to be in error when they are specifically saying, I'm speaking to you in prophecy. Now, let's talk about the Book of Mormon really quick. The Book of Mormon is a uh, the, the kind of the big text of the Mormon religion. It contains massive historical claims. Um, in it, uh, Joseph Smith essentially um, says he is translating a book that was lost but records the history of an ancient Jewish people who lived in America. Just let that sink in for a second. But if you evaluate archaeology, any evidence, you find no history of this. There is no history of any uh, Hebrew-speaking or Greek-speaking, no, no Christian influence, no Jewish in, in influence in any, any archaeological finds in America. Now, they say the, the Jews became what were known as Native Americans, but we find no evidence, no history at all. Think about how incredible that is. That is what Mormonism claims, but they have zero evidence to back it up. In fact, zero ancient copies of the Book of Mormon have ever been found. It's just one. And that one, nobody has ever seen but Joseph Smith. Zero evidence in America of any ancient inhabitants that possessed Hebrew or Christian beliefs. Uh, zero uh, persons, nations, places mentioned in the Book of Mormon have been authenticated outside of that book. Zero historical artifacts have been found supporting any of the claims of Mormonism. Now, once again, as I was talking about, when I was talking about archaeology, I don't hang my hat on what archaeology has not found. But I've got to admit, there's been a lot of things that have confirmed what the Bible says. But when you have nothing, I, 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 I struggle with the historical reliability of any of your claims, especially something as, as broad as Native Americans used to be Jewish. That is crazy to me. Well, actually, I take it back. There is one artifact that, that has been found um, that is a, apparently proof that Joseph Smith um, actually could read um, dead languages that were secret to everyone else, but he himself could read it. I, I'm sorry about that. I forgot about this one um, example. There is this, there is this, um, this story about the Book of Abraham, which is found in the Pearl of Great Price, um, and... The, there's a history to it, and this is very helpful, maybe, perhaps. In 1835, three years after publishing the Book of Mormon, Joseph Smith encountered 
a display in Kirkland, Ohio that had um, Egyptian mummies and an Egyptian papyrus on display, and he was very interested in it. And after examining it, he claimed that it contained this thing called the Book of Abraham. And, of course, then the Mormon church bought the the papyrus, and Smith translated it, and now it is a part of one of their central texts, which is the Pearl of Great Price. But here's the kicker. 1835, when he translated this, nobody really knew how to read Egyptian hieroglyphics. It was was kind of a, a language that people were still figuring out. And so... Back then, yeah, he, he translated it, and everybody's like, wow, look at this. This is truth that uh, corroborates Smith's story. Look at this. He's found an ancient text, and he's been able to translate it into this book of Abraham. But, but the problem is that after a while, we have grown in our understanding of Egyptian hieroglyphics, and now we can translate it, and researchers say that there, it's very clear that Joseph Smith did not know uh, how to read hieroglyphics. He was not given any divine aid. And think about what this means. Think about what this means. Uh, we actually have evidence that Joseph Smith was wrong in translating something. And then that is called the book of Abraham. Dead wrong. It's talking about something totally different. It's not talking about Abraham at all. Abraham's not even in that text at all. What does it look like? What, is, what does it look like? It looks like Joseph Smith found something that nobody else could read so that he could claim that he had divine inspiration while translating this text and nobody could check on him until history caught up with him and now we know that he is or doesn't have the gift. And, and what I would say, that makes him a false prophet. How many times do you have to be wrong to be a false prophet? 20 times? 16 times? One time. If he cannot read this He is a false warning. Consider the strong warning of Scripture itself as well when you think about it in that light. Uh, The last book of the Bible warns about people that want to add or take away from the Bible. Revelation 22, 18 through 19 says, If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. Verse 19, If anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. Right? It's a very serious thing to add or take away. But that's what Joseph Smith is doing. And remember, he is proven to be false. And also, I mean, this is cut and paste out of what Paul warned about, too. In Galatians 1.8, Paul said this, Even if we, even if I myself, Paul, or an angel from heaven, get that part, even if, if I tell you something, or an angel tells you something that's different than the gospel that I've already told to you, let him be accursed. This is actually cut and paste what Joseph Smith did. Uh, All of Mormonism rests on this, by the way. This is the background of Mormonism. Joseph Smith claimed to be visited by two divine beings when he was 14. He, He looked at all the denominations around him and was frustrated. Where can I go for the truth? And then two divine beings appeared to him and said, don't join any of those churches. They're all wrong. They're all false. And then another angel uh, revealed to, uh, appeared to him in successive years in 1823, an angel by the name of Moroni, and promised that he would soon find several golden plates, and he would be given the gift of translating them. What was the gift? He would receive special spectacles that were made out of Urim and Thummim, and these gave him divine ability to translate these golden plates. And then we're told, how did he translate these golden plates? 
1827. He began his work, but he did it in a spiritual way. He put on the spectacles. Maybe he put the golden plates in front of him. Maybe not. I'm not even convinced that he had the golden plates. And then, using an assistant, he put a hat over his face, and as words appeared to him, he dictated them to his assistant, and that is what we have as the Book of Mormon. Now, once again, it's bad enough for someone to be totally proven wrong in what they are translating, going back to the Book of Abraham, but his whole procedure, uh, way of translating and interpreting these texts is highly suspicious. Once again, I, I would believe that he is a false prophet. His historical claims have no backing. His translation technique is dubious at best. And when he can be tested, he is clearly a charlatan. Who is this man? He is a false prophet and a false teacher. And that is just talking about their view of Scripture. Let's talk about their view of salvation. What is salvation according to Mormonism? Mormonism teaches a clear grace plus good works gospel. Now, I wanted to fill this message with as many quotes from them as I could, so you know it's not just me spouting off, but it's actually them. This is perhaps one of the most famous quotes from a Mormon book, from the Book of Mormon. Uh, I believe it is called Second um, Nephi 25.23. It says this, We labor diligently to write, to persuade our children and also our brethren to believe in Christ and to be reconciled to God, for we know that uh, that it is by grace that we are saved. But it keeps going. After all we can do. That is what the Mormon church believes. It is by grace you are saved after you've done everything you can do. Think about that. What is that? That is grace plus good works. It is, hey, I'm going to do everything I can to get to God, and then God will give me grace for the rest. I have to show God that I'm sincere, though. I have to prove that I'm a good person for God to forgive me. Matter of fact, they say Jesus' atonement can't save you from every sin. It says this in another In another account, Jesus' sacrifice was not able to cleanse us from all our sins. Murder and repeated adultery are exceptions. There are some things you can do that Jesus' blood cannot save you from. Right? Mormons only receive the benefits of the cross by their own good works. This is what another person says in another sacred prophecy. uh, We accept Christ's atonement by... Repenting of our sins, being baptized, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, and obeying all of the commandments. That's how you receive atonement. That's that's a little different than the atonement and how I receive atonement according to the Bible. I would just say to you that this is very different than the salvation we see in the Bible. And if you know your Bibles well, your, your ears are already ringing. This is different. This is not the good news of the gospel. I would say, actually, Mormonism is just like every other man-made religion. Every man-made religion is always the same. We have to motivate you to be good. And the only way we can motivate you to be good is to hang eternity like a carrot before you. If you're good enough, God will forgive you. That is what good news always is without God. It is, I just need to make myself better. It is not believing in the finished work of Jesus to pay for all of your sins 
end knowing the joy and the fruit that comes out of that free gift. That is what Mormonism believes. We are saved, they say, by the grace, but after we can do all that we can do. I got this from a website, karm.org. Oh, I was wondering. There we go. She agrees. She's echoing a hearty amen. This is a synopsis of salvation according to Mormonism and their sources. Number one, you cannot be saved in your sins. I might agree with that. Number two, by grace you are saved after you do all that you can. You must perform good works. You must give your very best. You must deny yourself all God ungodliness, you must turn from your former sins and commit them no more. Now, to be clear, once again, I would say, yeah, I I would believe that in a sense, too. I would say obedience and self-denial are essential aspects of faith, but they are the fruits of faith. Mormonism says they are the conditions of salvation, the conditions of faith. Because they also essentially say this, If you commit any past sins again, those former sins return. You need to keep obeying so that your sins don't come back to you. Therefore, in order to remain forgiven, you must never commit the sin again. Notice, your salvation is contingent depending upon your obedience. That's what Mormonism believes. This is a few verses from the Bible. Romans 5.8 talks about how God's grace doesn't come to you after you've done all that you can, but when does it come to you? When you are in the worst possible state. God demonstrates his love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. <laughs> Second Corinthians 5.21 talks about we who were sin uh, were made righteous in Christ. Romans 8.1 talks about this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Galatians 2.15 and 21 talks about how we are not ever justified by works of the law. Man is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Even we, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. That is what the Bible says. We are justified not by our good works, but by faith in Jesus. And here's a shocking quote for you, right from, right from the 12th president of the Mormon church, Spencer, Spencer W. Kimball. He says this, one of the most fallacious fel- uh, doctrines or, or, originated by Satan and propounded by man is that man is saved alone by the grace of God, that belief in Jesus Christ alone is all that is needed for salvation. That's what one of their prophets says. It is a doctrine of Satan. It is originated in man. It is evil. What is it? That man is saved by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone. That is what Mormonism says. This, my friends, is not the Reformation at all. This is anti-Reformation doctrine here that the Mormon church is trying to peddle. But what does Mormonism say about Jesus, about the Savior, about Christ himself? What does it say? It says, Jesus is, is not God eternal, but he became a God. He was born of a mother God and of a father God. He was not born by a virgin birth. He was not born by the Holy Spirit, but he was born by God impregnating a woman. 
Jesus is not co-equal, co-eternal with God. Jesus is essentially a creature. The, the first creature, yes, but a creature all the same. This is from Brigham Young, one of the most famous presidents. And this is, of course, a disputed statement, but it's never been refuted as far as I know. Uh, God, uh, Brigham Young says, had sexual relations with Mary to make the body of Jesus. Jesus is begotten, made through natural reproductive processes, essentially. That's the end of the quote. Uh, Jesus was begotten, here's another person says this, Jesus was begotten by his father as literally as he was conceived by his mother. Or another writer says, Christ, uh, uh, Christ was begotten of God. He was not born without the aid of man, and that man was God. God is a man, and God impregnated a woman, Mary. And it gets even crazier than that. Uh, Satan is Jesus' spirit brother. Uh, they grew up together and turned on each other in the end. Um, Jesus is essentially not eternal and not unchanging because there was a time when Jesus was not. Matter of fact, God is not eternal. God is not unchanging. There was a time when God was not God. Um, This is from Joseph Smith himself. God himself was once as we are now and is an exalted man and sits enthroned in yonder heavens. We have imagined that God was from all eternity. I will refute that idea and take away the veil so that you may see. God was once a man as we are. That's what Joseph Smith says about God the Father. How do we respond to this? Well, first off, Mormonism, I would say, is unbiblical in their understanding of God. Isaiah 43.10 says this. God says this. Understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed and there will be none after me. It's pretty significant. There's no other God but me. I am always the same. Isaiah 44, 6 and 8, but mainly 8 says this, Is there any God beside me, or is there any other rock? I know of none. And God is being sarcastic there. He's saying, I know of no other God but me. This is the testimony of this God that we believe. Mormonism is unbiblical in their understanding of God the Father. They're also unbiblical in their understanding of Jesus Christ as well. Jesus is seen in the Bible to be co-equal, co-eternal, uncreated, without a beginning. John 1, 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Notice, all things were created through Him. He didn't get created because all created things were through him. Let me just say it one more time. Mormonism holds a different authority. Mormonism declares a different salvation. And Mormonism lifts up a different Christ. Mormons are not Christians. They're not a restoration of anything, but another man-made version of the Bible. Matter of fact, this, if, you, if you read Mormonism, you're like, this sounds very familiar. Yeah, this is exactly the way the ancient Gnostics used to talk about in the first century that were twisting and turning the church from the truth. They talked about this spiritual knowledge, secret wisdom. Satan's attacks are never new, actually. But this is not a rest- restoration of Christianity. This is a twisting of Christianity, a pretty grotesque one, if you ask me. But how should you, how should you talk to Mormons? Now, perhaps you're thinking to yourself, I should stay very far away. And there might be some good ideas in that. 
let me give you just four pointers, four words for tactics with Mormons. Uh, this is not as much as I could uh, go into, but if you want a good resource, I have, I have a good website that could talk you through a lot of things you could talk to them about. But here, I'll just give you four words, four words for how you should talk to Mormons. Number one, carefully. 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 You should have wisdom. You should have understanding. You shouldn't speak to them unless you are ready, unless you know what you're talking about and you know what they really believe. Don't don't go into it without being careful. Don't go into it saying, well, Maybe if they just say a bunch of magic words, like if they mention Jesus, Holy Spirit, salvation, the Bible, they're Christians. You should go into it carefully. You should be cautious. Don't treat them like fellow believers. Know what they believe. You should go into it cautiously. Now, it's been my effort, albeit a very simple one, an incomplete one, to kind of give you a little bit of an inside view into Mormonism so that you can go into it carefully. But that brings us to our next word. You should also talk to them lovingly. They may be wrong, but you should still love them and have compassion on them because they are people that are headed to hell. They are lost. They are cursed, according to Paul. They are heading to hell because of false doctrine. And you need to have compassion for them, not shunning them, but compassion for them. Pray for how you can reach them, speak to them truth, and help them see the error of their system and the false prophet that is Joseph Smith. But you should also speak to them clearly. And this is important. You should speak to them clearly. Focus them on the truth of God's word. Maybe you should perhaps familiarize yourself, if you have a friend who's a Mormon, with the, K, uh, the KJV, just so you're not totally off-putting on them, uh, they don't believe any other Bible's trustworthy, but through the Bible, you should challenge them. They do hold that the Bible is the truth, albeit it's a lost truth, but you should ask them a question like, have you ever read the New Testament? You should challenge them to examine what the Bible, particularly the New Testament, says about Jesus, what the Bible says about God, what the New Testament says about salvation. You should say, I dare you to read the New Testament in the next month and tell me that the Bible doesn't say this about salvation, this about my Savior, and this about Scripture. You should challenge them. Actually, I've heard that many Mormons have actually come to the faith just by reading the New Testament. And you should challenge them. They've spent all of their time in the Book of Mormon, but you should say, have you tried reading the New Testament? But then you should also show them, and perhaps you should know just a few locations in your Bibles of where to go with this, but you should show them how the grace of God in the Gospel is apart from good works. You should know where Galatians 2, 15 through 17 is. You should know where Galatians 1, 8 is. You should especially know Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It's by grace we've been saved, not by works, so that no one can boast. You should, you should show them the true nature of God and of Jesus. Look up Isaiah 43, verse 10. Look up John 1, 1. Show them that God is eternal from Psalm 90, verse 2. Matter of fact, it's interesting because even their own books contradict themselves. They actually believe that there is 
only one God, according to Alma 11, 26 through 29. I don't know if I want to read this because there's big names in here, but essentially it says, is there more than one God? And he answered, no. Their own books suggest that there's only one God. So what is it? Are there hundreds of gods? Or is there just one? You should talk to them clearly. But you should also talk to them shrewdly. I would say this. I would say this as well. You, you should show them love. You should be interested in them as image bearers of God. You should challenge them to read the Bible about what it says about salvation, scripture, and the Savior. Yeah, you should do all of those things. And that maybe should be what you first do. Challenge them to read the Bible. But after you've done that, I would say you should have one pin in your hand. Not a literal pin, a, a, a figurative pin. A pin for popping worldviews. After you have shown them love, shown them grace, shown them, shown them all of these things, uh, tested them, challenged them to understand what the Bible actually says about God, you should have one little pin to pop their worldview. And you should probably study it on your own. What, what, do you, what, what part of Mormonism that is deeply suspicious can you learn really well in order to, after having a really genuine conversation, bring out, did you know about the book of Abraham? Did you know about all the archaeological problems with Mormonism? Did you know about the true contrast we see between the gospel and what the Book of Mormon says. You should, you should study Mormonism and maybe say, here's a very interesting thing that they believe. I'm going to just make it my effort not to study everything that's wrong with Mormonism, but just maybe one thing. There's plenty of interesting things to study, let me tell you. Up all night last night studying, because it's so interesting. I'm going to pick one thing and learn it really well so that when they come to me, I can say, but how do you answer this? There's a whole website with questions that Mormons can't answer. You could ask them any of those questions, but no one of them. No one of them. So after you've shown them love, grace, you have shown them the word of God, you can also say, but what do you say about this? But what do you say about this? Let's, let's close our time with just reading Jude 17. Jude 17. Jude, of course, is one chapter long, so 17 refers to the verse, not the chapter. Jude 17 says this, But you, beloved, must remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause division, worldly-minded, not having the Spirit, but you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And on some who are doubting, have mercy. And for others, save, snatching them out of the fire. And on others, have mercy with fear, hating even the tunic polluted by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and make you stand in the presence of his Glory, blameless with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, might, authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, we thank you for um, this time we've been able to consider the teachings of Mormonism. And I pray that this would help us be more loving, more faithful, more careful, more shrewd. 
And we even pray that through us, you would, you would enable some to be plucked from the fire. But you would strengthen us to do this with care and fear so that we are not singed as well. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.